98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Big League Blast. Fanville is a fictional place where Brent Musburger coyly drops gambling tips and everybody drinks Dr. Pepper. But Dramaville, that's a real place, and I know this because we are living in it. Look around. ASU football has hit rock bottom. The Cardinals have been a tire fire for eight months now, one miracle removed from a full-blown collapse, and both have nothing on the Suns. The latest is the rift between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, who have not talked since that Game 7 loss to the Mavericks. It sounds so derelict, so unlike Williams, that you have to wonder what this is all about. Is it a new approach to knock all the goofy out of their man-child center, or is it confirmation that the Suns do not want Aiton, period, full stop? And this rough treatment might be designed to make him one out of the relationship just as badly, willing to accept any trade the Suns bring to his metaphorical desk on or after January 15th. And all of this drama comes as a new season approaches as the owner begrudgingly tries to sell the team as Jay Crowder is no longer part of the group while awaiting a trade. Now maybe the DA drama is a sign that Kevin Durant is still their primary focus, but the Nets sounded like a family repaired on media day. Markeith Morris even exclaimed, quote, I broke up with my wife a couple of times. We still married. Bleep works. Yeah, but it's not working so good in Phoenix, and there better be a long game in play to counter this very strange approach to a new season of regular season basketball. Today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable with two great locations and one great experience. Shop online at ChapmanBMW.com. Knowing Kevin as long as I have, it didn't really bother me the way maybe everyone would think. You know, that's a part of being competitors. I I wasn't like um, overly surprised and I wasn't even overly concerned. You know, this is something that I thought we would address in time and we did and and here we are and we're looking forward. I think that's, uh, you know, there's something in this that we can all grow from as well. That is Steve Nash, the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, patching things up. And this again was, you know, I'll say this. The, the need for the patch-up conversation and this, this push forward for the Nets was definitely more evident and more visceral there. When Kevin Durant comes out and says, yeah, I'm not playing for that guy, you fire him yeah. or I'm going, yeah. the, you're going to have to have that, that talk at some point. The guy who used to play the same game as I do, the guy that was a two-time MVP that I completely threw under yeah. the bus, Steve Nash swallowed a lot of pride right there to make that statement. He did. Um, we still don't know everything that happened at the mm-hmm. tail end of the Dallas series. <laughs> there was the stuff that you could see on the court in Game 7, what was allegedly said, the the internal comment, you know, what, what, what about that Monty Williams, the, the deal with DA, oh, that, that's internal. It has stayed internal, apparently, and on individual basis on both sides mm-hmm. for over four months now. Uh, Monty Williams followed up DeAndre Ayton, and you, you've heard the sound by now, Ayton saying, yeah, we, me and Monty haven't talked since uh, at all since Game 7. Are you happy? Uh, I'm all right. I'm here. The... And, and again, it's in real time, I had three people tell me that there was a falling out between Chris Paul and the head coach. Maybe everyone's mad at the head coach. Maybe the head coach is mad at everyone. Maybe it's not just a DA thing, yeah. although I doubt it. Um, it. You're right. And I do think a lot of the stuff that happened internally that that caused uh, enough of enough of reverberation that some people couldn't help notice it. 
that I, I think that 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 is going to forever stay behind closed doors. I, I think it. I think you're, you can safely assume maybe somewhere down the road somebody will say, "Hey, you know what? That 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 postseason of twenty twenty one. Let me tell you something." Yeah, but yeah. and then and then he'll be like, "What?" But the individual approach to all of it, though, uh, at media day was some people are saying, "Yeah, we're moving forward. We're not looking back." DeAndre Ayton admitted, "Yeah, sometimes I still think about it." Chris Paul said, "I learned nothing from that experience." So <laughs> right. it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> Wait a minute, what happened, Monty? Right, right. <laughs> it happened again. Oh my goodness! Yeah, we lost by thirty. Oh, uh, Monty Williams said uh, that uh, it was officially put to bed only on Monday night. So much has been made of the Game 7 deal, and rightfully so, but we addressed that last night as a team. You you can ask everybody in the gym. I put it to bed last night. Uh, We talked about it, as we do every year after the... a tough loss, and then we just put it to bed. So I, I wouldn't. I think if you asked a bunch of our guys, they'd be like, "Yeah, coach was pretty quiet this summer." I just wanted to give everybody a break. I think that your voice can become too much, and um, I, I didn't want that to happen because we have done a lot together. Yeah, and I, you know, the team-wide sentiment. I get that. You know, you you, you have a playoff exit. You want a little bit of a break. You don't know who's going to be back with the team. Are you going to invest that much energy and try to say, all right, we're going to be stronger from this moving forward? Mm-hmm. Probably not in that moment. Now, I do think that that was necessary more on an individual basis with DeAndre Ayton and May because of what we actually saw and what was reported. Yep. Um, but again, uh, you know, it's it's been a long time and your team has been structured for a long time. And for that not to, for there to be no conversation between your, you know, Top one of your top three or four players, and a guy who again you just rewarded with a max contract, right. and you're relying heavily on right. to increase his scoring this year. Yeah, because uh, yeah, um, and because uh, like you said, at the very least, even if in the back of your mind we're going to trade this guy as soon as we can, you've got to you you got to win basketball games in late October, November, and December. And also, what what Dan pointed out earlier, it wasn't just that uh, Aiton said this, it was how he said it. He cut off the question about if things were resolved with him and Monty as if he had been waiting to, to, to drop get that, that out there. People. Yeah. And to say, hey, I'm No, no, here. we haven't talked. No, yeah. no. And then to say, yeah, and then to, to acknowledge, hey, I'm here if he wants to talk, tells me that, that DA is probably churning and burning inside about this, that he's, you know, wishes the head coach would come and talk to him. And and so the fact that he's not, it's it's something. It's strategic. It's something the Suns feel they need to do. Because Monty Williams wouldn't do this. Monty Williams is as fundamentally decent a person as you're going to find among head coaches in the NBA. Totally. And so, so, and that's why this whole thing has got people kind of like, what? I mean, you have to ask again, everything's on the table as Mm -hmm. possibilities. Is it strategic? Uh, what we're seeing from DeAndre Ayton now, he's going to come out and light the league on fire for three months, and then January 15th come around and say, hey, I want out. See, see what I just did here? Yeah. That was, yeah, that was the payback for, for the treatment I got. Send, and, and send me anywhere. Yeah, listen. And if they're playing 3D Minecraft like that, then then you know, props to them for for maybe pulling that out of DA because wait, the, is there 2D Minecraft? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. 3D Minecraft, 3D chess. That's what I think I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just I, to me, it's it's. I, I think we're going to find out. But the, the Suns do need another impact scorer. And the thinking was, okay, now you paid this guy. Now you're going to have to kind of feed this guy a little more. 
I don't know, man. I don't know where this thing is going. I don't know where it's, it's going really... either. And, and again, there's always there's always two sides of, of every argument. Some people, um, and I think the people that are in the right, are concerned right now. This seems less than ideal. It does. It there's does. other people that are saying, oh, it's nothing. It's oh, September. They're going to be fine. Come on. you got Jay Crowder, who is not part of the group. You don't know if and when you're going to be able to trade him. This basketball team needs to add pieces, not lose pieces. And now they're they're doing this thing with DeAndre Ayton. I, I would love to hear what Monty Williams said in that meeting um, about flushing Game 7. Because, again, if, if you're a new basketball fan, you, you don't understand the mark that that game leaves on the Suns in, in, inside the ropes, yeah. if you will. Among other players in the NBA, they are now going to be chirping at the Suns. They are going to be looking down on the Suns. The, the Suns have to atone for this yeah. because but they're going to wear it until they do. Another thing that you guys have pointed out, though, we don't even know what kind of mark this left on the Suns because... The Suns didn't make it known that this was a devastating loss. Yeah, the the way they responded to it directly after and sort of over the summer was just like, oh yeah, yeah, we're moving on. Yeah, we're moving on. It didn't hit them as hard as you think it would have because because they know what happened happened and we don't know what happened. And and it was and it was probably so layered and so deep that and a long time coming that that it makes perfect sense to them. So, but but again, you can as a fan, you can take solace in that. Even though we desperately want to know, because we want to reconcile mm-hmm. the love that we poured into that team and the domination we saw from that team, we want to know it wasn't a mirage. We want to know that unlike the national narrative, that this team isn't just built to try hard in the regular season. We, I want to believe that a whole bunch of things conspired to take them down, and I know a few of them. But but it still doesn't explain some of the stuff I've heard, and it doesn't explain this treatment of DA. So, <laughs> fingers crossed. Welcome to Dramaville, Vinny. <laughs> you got any Dr. Dr. Pepper? Pepper? <laughs> <laughs> Want a gambling tip from Brent Musburger? <laughs> uh, coming up next, we'll get more into the Arizona Cardinals. The preparation begins today for the Carolina Panthers, and it's another big game that can turn the tide of the season. That and more straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Dan Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Yeah, there's no doubt. And like I said, um, that's what, why we can't get behind like we've got behind. You know, you can't get behind and get one-dimensional and uh, end up, you know, throwing it the whole whole game like we have basically the first three weeks. And, and so we want to stick to our game plan hopefully this week and, and be able to be more balanced and, and, and play at a higher level. Cliff Kingsbury from Monday on uh, Wolf and Luke on the need to get ahead early in a game so you can actually run more of your offense. It's been not not just falling behind, but extreme examples of falling behind. Uh, so the onus really falls on both sides of the ball. The The offense has been impotent at, at the beginning of games, but so has the defense. The defense uh, has allowed scoring drives, at least three scoring drives uh, at the beginning of each game. Um, <laughs> that is not a recipe for success, no. right? It's actually, let, let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that we're talking about a one and two football team it right now. It kind of is. It really is. And it's it's like I, like I say I've been I've come away from a couple of these games actually um basically the six last six quarters I've been relatively enthused by the Cardinal defense only because my expectations have been so low.
low. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've given them credit for hanging in there, which I think they've done very well. And the turnover they forced at, at the end of the last game, it gave that the offense um, a, a little flicker, flickering candle, candle of hope, if you will. But I, I went took a look at Pro Football Focus's defensive metrics on the Cardinals. They rank 32nd in defense. Their ranking is 41.0. The next worst team defensively is Seattle. They're 45.5. The 30th ranked team is Houston. They're 50.3. So the Cardinals are not only last in the league in defense by PFF metrics, they're last by a mile. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not their run defense so much as their pass defense, which we feared. And their defensive pass rating is 29.6. The next worst, Seattle, 41.7. That is a 12-point difference. Well, just in terms of uh, not necessarily advanced stats, I think it was Kyle Odegaard who put it out there yesterday, that the Cardinals in three games have allowed an opposing quarterback rating of like 117. Which, over the course of a season, wow. if you did that as a quarterback, you'd win the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and it's so weird. Like, like you said, the expectations were so low for this defense. Mm-hmm. From a ranking standpoint, yeah. they're actually meeting those expectations, those right. disappointing expectations. But everybody's like, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Right. So with that, and that's what's really jarring here that we're like actually moderately enthused. You know, I always quote my favorite lyric, Beck, from the Gin Blossoms. That's right. You don't expect too much from me. You might not be let down. That's right. That, but that, that applies to the Cardinals defense. Cardinals defense. Yeah. And, and so clearly they can get better and you hope they get better. Um, but, but really it's, it's, it's incumbent on the offense to step up and try to carry this team. And, and, and I just don't, the belief is waning on, whether or not this team is capable of it, and it's, it, it, I guess, I guess getting out ahead might bring the bring out the best in this football team because we saw that as you pointed out many times they're very good front runners, but they can't they they're just they're so bad in the first quarter you just wonder how is that even possible. I mean, you just you would think at some point in time the guru would sit down and script out twelve to fifteen plays, and the Cardinals would march down the field, and at least they get a touchdown on the board, and then everything after that might get a little wonky, but at least you're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I expect from Cliff Kingsbury in this offense because you've got all week to rep it. So what it tells me is that this football team must be among the worst in practice habits in the NFL. He said as much after the first game, right? He did say as much, and so, but that, but you can't say that as the head coach because, as the head coach, you determine the tone and the tempo of practice, Mm -hmm. and you determine, as you pointed out, who practices and and, when they practice, and when they practice. And so, maybe having this Wednesday, if you're a veteran and you ain't feeling it, just take the day off. You deserve it. I I, trust you. I think you brought up a great point, though, Um, and we've seen this in the past during the Bruce Arians days. There, there were times where. They would win. A, remember, Victory Monday was a thing. When they were winning a lot of games, Victory Monday, we talked to BA about it. And there was one week, and I don't remember the specifics of, of what the year was or who the opponent was, but the Cardinals won a game that they probably shouldn't have won. And BA granted the Victory Monday. And it might have actually been Patrick Peterson, if memory it, serves. Oh, I was there. I was. That, in, it was Patrick, that Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson said, yeah. yeah, no no Victory Monday for us. We, we got work to do. Yeah. I, Minnesota, maybe? I don't know what it was, but I was in the locker room when Patrick Peterson had this. Mm-hmm. It, it little, the light bulb went on in his head, and he just stopped. He said, hold on, hold on. No victory Monday for us. Not going to happen. And the reaction of his teammates around him, 
Oh, they were not happy at all. <laughs> oh, my God, they were so ticked. Because it was, it was very much like the kid in class. Wait, teach, you forgot our homework. I know the bell just rang, but you forgot to give us our assignments. <laughs> and, and that's the way it went over. But at least you, at least you appreciated the, the accountability. Mm-hmm. Well, Patrick Peterson at that point in time. Yeah, I, I'm so with you on that. It, circumstances should change this. If, you, if you're not looking like a football team that's prepared, why are you assuming that these guys will be prepared on their own? It's a great question. Uh, more from Cliff Kingsbury. I'm on to Carolina. I know what we've been through um, to this point and, and where it can go. And if we can get to two to two, two and two uh, in the first month, um, despite everything we've had going on, I think it, it'd be put us in a good spot. And um, we want to get better in a hurry. And Carolina's had our numbers. It's going to be a tough game. We understand that. But um, that, that's our focus is just continuing to improve. And like I said, trying to uh, play a game where we're not chasing the entire time. Yeah, I, I think all of that is true. Uh, and I think the Cardinals, honestly, if they come back from Carolina heading into that Philly game a, a week from Sunday, Bick, mm-hmm. they come back two and two, they got to be feeling great about themselves. Because the guys in the locker room, the coaching staff, they know that they have not played well. Uh, this has been a real rocky beginning of the season. If they can, I, I, two and two would be amazing to me. Like I said before, I'm amazed that we're talking about a one and two team uh, with everything that happened in, the, in that Vegas game. And, you know, two and two makes it a heck of a lot more possible to be 500 when week seven rolls around and New Orleans comes to town for, for Thursday night and, and DeAndre Hopkins is back on the field. I am not of the belief that getting DeAndre Hopkins fix all, fixes all of your, your issues offensively. This is a guy that hasn't played football. You know, when that rolls around, he will not have played competitive football for a really long time. And he's great at what he does. Uh-huh. But he's not superhuman. There's no. some sort of acclimation period that and, works and that, he, that, that's needed. No, and while he had a share of touchdowns last year when, when healthy, he was not the same uh, productive kind of wide receiver. So I agree with you. I, I, it's not a panacea. It's not a guarantee of anything. But the one thing I do agree with Cliff Kingsbury on is that if you find a way to beat Carolina, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Everything that we have stressed about, sweated over, fretted about, it, it kind of you hit reset. Because then you go into week five at 500, and, and I think we all agree you get out of week six at 500, you've done your job. Yes, but, and I agree with that sentiment completely, but this is very much a football team that needs a complete victory. You know, a, a real workmanlike approach, like Cliff Kingsbury said, getting ahead, playing from ahead. You know, maybe a dominant double-digit victory. That nice. you know, thirty it, points. If they came back and won in a in a fluky way, again, you don't have to apologize for that in the NFL. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing because you're two and two. But I think it would set a lot of people's minds at ease if right. they had a real complete sixty-minute performance. I, I think, like I said, it, it's the thirty-point barrier that if they can get above that, and they got close against Vegas, it was overtime, of course. Mm-hmm. But if they can get over thirty points, I think that is that would really be something to rally around. Yeah. Text FAN to 620-620 for your chance to become the Redbird Farms Chicken Fan of the Game. One lucky fan uh, winner will receive two tickets to an upcoming Arizona Cardinals home game and be featured on the Jumbotron. Once again, that's FAN, F-A-N, to 620-620. Coming up next, more on the tumultuous beginning of training camp from the Phoenix Suns. We will talk to Kellen Olson, our very own from ArizonaSports.com, next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It is 
Highway Marauder Mornings on this Wednesday, coming to you live from the Akchan Community Studios. Day two of training camp for the Phoenix Suns today. There's been no shortage of storylines in yeah. recent weeks, and certainly in the last couple days concerning DeAndre Ayton. Monty Williams, that relationship or lack thereof, here to talk about it with us from ArizonaSports.com. Our very own Kellen Olson checks in on the Arizona Sports Line. Kellen, how are you today? Are you sure who they play on Sunday? You sure? Uh, we we, we I did, uh, just got Jared, the last couple Jared words. Was, Jared was late pressing the right <laughs> His button. His phone was up breaking up there. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's what was happening. Repeat what you just uh, said, K.O. You're ruining someone else's bets ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> It's not his fault. You you were there yesterday when uh, DeAndre Ayton interrupted a question about his relationship with Monty Williams by saying, we haven't spoken since game seven. And I just want to know what your initial reaction was and and the reaction is it's kind of evolved since that time because it sent shockwaves through the NBA. Yeah, it, it was really strange timing because DA, of course, was talking the day after media day when a lot of us in the room not surprised necessarily, but just maybe taken aback a bit by how subdued DeAndre was. Now, uh, of course, had to do with just the seriousness of the day, and that, of course, led to a bunch of people's different reactions and reads on how the day was and the tone was in the room. But, but with that being said, I think it was okay for a lot of guys to just take that day pretty seriously because of the questions they knew that they were going to have to answer, most of them in a, in a downwardly kind of negative tone, talking about Sarver, talking about Game 7, DeAndre talking about how his offseason went, and so on. And we talked to him for two and a half, three minutes. He was still pretty reserved, but he was starting to open up a bit. He was talking about his new diet and how he's trying to stay away from carne asada fries. And that was literally the last <laughs> thing that he was asked before we got into all this. I asked him, what's your Mexican food that you've been trying to stay away from? And he's talking about carne asada fries. And I'm like, hey, it's DeAndre. And then someone asked about Monty Williams. And then you guys heard all the audio clips for the for the last few minutes of when we talked to him. And it was it was one of those things where he said his answer, and we all kind of looked around for two seconds. And then we quadruple followed up with him, and and we got that great line that Sarah just read in the update that I I can show him better than I can tell him. And I, I've been around the team now for three years, and I, I certainly do not have access to any of these guys' phones or know how often they talk in the summer, but they reference all the time how they keep in touch, and especially during the summer. I just remember, in fact, at some point uh, before last season, uh, DA kind of referencing getting a text from Monty and, and just kind of getting to work early in the Bahamas. And, and I know that for the most part, Monty talks to his guys in, in the summer, so it was just strange to see how everything unfolded and then hearing what Monty had to say, because I, I know I understand Monty's thought in terms of it, it was, it was a rough ending to the year. And I just wanted to let the guys breathe, but he just seems like the guy who always keeps in touch with his players. And it, it was just, it was just yeah. bizarre how the old, the whole day unfolded. Yeah. It's, it's very unlike him. And even if, even if DA broke bad near the end of last season to levels that we were not privy to it, Monty is still the type of guy that would have reached out on some level because that's what he is and that's what he does. So if you don't mind speculating, what do you think might be the strategy here behind this? The, the strategy, that that's a really interesting way of putting it. I, I think a, another way of looking at it, Dan, is just you look back to June 30th and July 1st, and, and this is me to be clear where we're in speculation world right now and we're reading four or five steps ahead. Mm-hmm. Look, Monty and DA could have a conversation this week, or, or they could not have a conversation, quite honestly, and we could get to two three weeks from now, and DeAndre's playing the best basketball of his life, and none of this really matters now. 
that's being quite generous to the situation at hand, but I just want to say we should wait for full judgment until the season starts. But I will say, if, if there was any sort of rockiness to this relationship that is being suggested by the way DeAndre came across, you think back to just June 30th and July 1st and the days that they had to, to trade DeAndre, mm-hmm. and, and they didn't, and, and they kind of waited around and waited with Richard Brady and saying, we all said if they get an offer sheet, they should match it, and that still stands even if the relationship is rocky because you can't just lose him for nothing, even if in that way. But you just wonder if there was a lack of judgment there in terms of the situation between the two of them personally being being untenable uh, because there were questions in terms of just DeAndre's return in general. But if the number the number one uh, concern would have been over all others, if there was reasons to question the relationship between the coach and, and, and their starting center. And, and that, to me, is what I kind of have been thinking about the last 24 hours more than anything else. But, of course, again, to repeat myself, that's looking really far ahead here. But you do wonder if this starts to affect their season. Monty said not at all. And, and by the end of his press conference, he was like, I'm, I'm done talking about this. But, Dan, it, it's hard because Kevin Zerman poured this out on Twitter yesterday. Monty wasn't really directly asked about Game 7 all that much, if at all, yesterday. But he brought it up a couple of times, but unprompted. And that's one of those things where... They're not over Game 7. I don't think they are. That's just one of those things to me that rings out and just kind of says that they're not. And that's just my opinion, hearing from them and everything. And they have said as much the opposite, in fact. They haven't said as much at all. They've said the opposite. But you just hear those kinds of things. And Monty talked about how last night they completely put it in the past and everything. We all know how tough those losses are to overcome over the history of sports and just watching it. And we just kind of keep getting suggestions that, that they're not. But again, we'll, we'll see once the balls start bouncing. We'll see. Kellen Olson from ArizonaSports.com, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Moving on to the Jay Crowder situation. He's not with the team after you know a summer long of uh, cryptic uh, social media messages. It's become clear that they're working on a trade. And I think optimistic Suns fans will say, ah, good riddance. Jay Crowder brought a lot to this team from an intangible standpoint, from a toughness standpoint. Oh, and he can shoot a little bit, too, and gave them a, a bit of an edge. So this is a significant loss, potentially, depending on what they can get back. Uh, realistically, with the whole world knowing about the unhappiness Jay Crowder has, what can they get back in your mind? Oof, that, that, that's the golden question here, Vince, because I, I think the thing to understand is when Shams puts out that report, everyone's like, oh, great, the trade the trade value of Jay Crowder is, is, is dead. Well, I don't think this was a situation that just developed in the last 72 hours a week. I'm, I'm assuming this has been something that's been going for a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months. And, and you guys know better than me that like this is the type of thing that gets known around the league in terms of how Jay and his agent are working, are, are communicating with other teams, trying to find a trade for him, thing, things like that, right? And, and so it's not necessarily one of those situations, but it, it, it sort of is because that is still one where his value is going to take a hit. And I think the thing that you reiterated at the top of the question, Vince, is really important because – Yes, Jay is someone who is one of the streakiest shooters in the league. He's not much of a playmaker either, and his offensive role is sort of just kind of as a, as a plug-and-play glue guy. And then defensively, he doesn't rack up a ton of steals. He doesn't rack up a ton of blocks. He's never made an all-defensive team, but I would argue that he's one of the two or three best defenders on that team. And certainly in, in the discussion, once you get past Mikel Bridges, in my opinion, and I, I don't think anyone can argue that he's one of their six or seven most important players. So when you take away one of the six or seven best players from any team, I, I wrote about this on ArizonaSports.com that just went live about 15 minutes ago. It, 
you just it's really tough you really have to go into your depth a lot but then if you're looking at a long-term absence which i I think this has a chance of being because of how difficult it'll be to find a trade and find a suitable replacement for him you're really going to need other guys to step up and that's why it's so important that cam johnson is in the spot to kind of naturally take over but beyond that their depth is going to get pushed to a little bit of a a tough situation here the longer they try and look for a trade and and that's the thing about james jones is he's i really really doubt he's going to trade jay crowder just for salary filler and a pick. He's going to trade him for a basketball player who can play rotation minutes for them as soon as he comes over. And finding that right now is going to be pretty difficult, but James is going to be patient, I think. Yeah, uh, what compounds that is the fact the reports that he could have had Bogdanovich straight up and wanted more and lost that deal because of it. All right, let me ask you this, because you've shown the uh, the critical thinking ability, even when things have been going good on this basketball team, to diagnose where they need more. And I think you've been right two years running and the team has been wrong. When you look at this team right now, what do you see? What, what, is, their, what is their level of preparedness to compete and be a top seed in the Western Conference. I see that not really being a problem, Dan, to be honest. I think this team is a machine at, at this point when it comes to winning in the regular season, and I hate phrasing it that way because then they immediately get compared to those Hawks teams from five years ago. They are significantly better than those teams, but the, the problem is once they get to the postseason, that's when the limited uh, amount of pop that they have on the ball and just their, their avenues of scoring kind of uh, it, it kind of dries up a bit. And, and we saw that kind of run into them. That problem ran into them when in New Orleans. Chris Paul had to do so much when Devin Booker wasn't hurt that by the Dallas series, it seemed like he was kind of just, he had kind of used everything in the New Orleans series already. So then Dallas is trapping Devin Booker, and then they've got really nothing else. That's when you look at a couple of different ways of doing it. Mikael Burgess and, and Cam Johnson can get more involved on the perimeter, or as many people have been screwing for the heavens ever since he was drafted number one overall, DeAndre can start to be, more of a part of the offense going forward uh, in, on the interior. And then you look at the bench and you just want to see more from campaign and Landry Shamit than we saw last year. That's where, as you alluded to, I've been kind of crying from the heavens for the past few years for them to add more ball handlers that they haven't yet. We'll, we'll see if the Jay Crowder trade or something else presents itself. But I just think they need a little bit more offensive pop data. And you, you two are going to talk about this on your show a lot in the coming weeks. The West is loaded. Mm-hmm. And, and I think even if the Suns get the second, third, fourth seed, they fall a little bit short of what we're talking about in the top seed. They're going to be tested right away in the first round, I think, if they land somewhere in there. Because the West is just six, seven teams that could really produce problems and, may, and make a deep run. And then certainly the second round and beyond. It, it's going to be a really tough road for them going forward they've got the pieces on their team but it's just about internal improvement for now unless they look externally yep great stuff as always Kellen. appreciate the time yeah we look forward to you writing every day for the next six months Kellen. (laughs) get after it you know where i'm gonna be dan thanks buddy (laughs) Kellen olsen arizona sports.com does a great job also part of the uh, empire of the suns podcast with kevin zimmerman on arizona sports.com he joined us on the arizona sports line coming up next yeah, about those Wednesdays being Veterans Days off. We got an update for you. Next. <laughs> we do. Pickley Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Dan Pickley, Vince Murata. Pickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Oh, it is the Wednesday edition. Bickley and Murata mornings coming to you live from the Oxygen yeah. Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell with you until 10 o'clock. Uh, a lot of preview upcoming, uh, not just today, but also Thursday and on Football Friday. Cardinals, Panthers, 
on uh, Sunday in Charlotte. Big game for the Cardinals. They need to right this ship and uh, kind of tackle some of the things that have ailed them. One of those things we've talked about a lot in the first three weeks of the season, Vic, is uh, slow starts offensively, lack of explosion offensively. Mm-hmm. Could they be getting a piece back this week? It's looking good, at least early in the week. First day of practice, Rondale Moore, who's not played at all with the hamstring injury this year, was back working during the open part oh, of practice. So good. that is a good sign. Now, does Rondale, I said it earlier, DeAndre Hopkins coming back doesn't cure all the ills offensively. Rondale Moore certainly won't do that either. But if you have another option that you can go to with some ability to make plays, the more the better. So that, that's not a bad thing. Um, there was a ton of players not working uh, in the open part of practice today for either injury reasons or for uh, veterans' days off, as as they become known on Wednesdays. Uh, not working, according to Darren Urban from azcardinals.com. Hollywood Brown, A.J. Green, not a surprise there. Zach Ertz, Kelvin Beecham, Rodney Hudson, Justin Pugh, got the elbow injury. Uh, J.J. Watt, Rashard Lawrence, who had hand surgeries out for a while, and uh, Ezekiel Turner has had uh, some injury issues. So, that kinda, nine people you counted there, Jarrett? Nine people. Nine people. Okay. Yeah, listen, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that when things are going wrong. I I do. I you wonder again how much of this is correlated. Uh, there was a lot of practice time left on the table during preseason mm-hmm. and and the these veterans days off automatic veteran days off on Wednesday to me football teams have to earn that stuff and if and if you are consistently coming out unprepared to play football you're not taking Wednesday off on my football team and I, I think that's probably true of most head coaches even no matter how progressive and new age they happen to be. I, I think at some point in time, you don't leave practice time on the table when it's clear you need practice time. Yeah, I mean, there's logic in that, certainly. And yeah, I, and I agree all. with uh, the old school side of me agrees with that. But there's some people thinking, like, maybe they're getting off to slow starts because there's yeah. not enough rest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's week four. The uh, Whether or not you, you look at last week's game and you look at the fact that the Cardinals got back into that game at one point in time and they were one score away for a good part of the second half. The fact of the matter remains, the Cardinals were are, have become a three-and-out machine in the first quarter, while teams' opponents have been scoring pretty much at will on the Cardinals in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Rams scored on all three, uh, three of their first three possessions. Two of them were field goals, so the damage didn't look that bad. But the, but the reverse of it is also true, and that is these games are getting lopsided from the get-gate. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's kind of an issue. Well, uh, let the, diagnose the early part of that Rams game. Cardinals get the first possession. They go three and out. Special teams failure. They allow the punt to be blocked. Mm-hmm. Short field for the Rams. The defense actually by giving up only a field goal mm-hmm. that should have provided a lift. Uh, absolutely. You know what? Here we go again. We got a punt block. They go in. They score a touchdown. We're down seven. We're sunk. Yeah, but that four-point difference mm-hmm. when you hold them to three, and we've seen it n- numerous times with the Cardinals and other teams. You know, th- those victories go a long way into mm-hmm. energizing the team, and it just didn't. Ha- it had no effect whatsoever. No, no, and and one of those field goal attempts, Allen Robinson dropped a sure gimme touchdown pass, and and the Rams' offense clearly is not quite in rhythm either. They're they're fighting it themselves. I I just think that they the, this football team has got. It has got to get right because this is this is not heading in a good place at all.
I know, and that sounds that sounds fairly obvious, but but it, it it's it's reflective of what are you doing to fix this issue? Mm-hmm. And so, to me, uh, let's get back to that first that first drive again. Uh, and we've covered this topic before, but it bears repeating. It's third and one on your opening possession of the game. You've got a running back in James Conner who never gets stopped behind the line of scrimmage who has got the strength and the power to even push a pile, even in an obvious run down. He's proven it. Mm -hmm. How you go and throw the ball to a over-the-hill, washed-up wide receiver who's got the yips, who happens to be face-guarded by the best cornerback in football, that to me is just nonsense. It's stupid. And now you're punting, and you don't even get the kickoff because Deontay Thompson can't hold up at the point of contact. And now you got a block punt. And and now and even though they get a field goal out of that, it's the energy, it's the statement, it's the vibe that's being set. So in that situation, again, if if you are scripting plays, to me that that opening drive, I would tell my quarterback, listen. I've given you permission to change in and out of whatever you want. Kyler Murray told us as much after last game. Mm-hmm. I would tell him that did not apply to these plays on script. You run these plays as I'm giving them to you. Because to me, this is there's just no excuse for it. In watching Monday night's football game, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. The Giants, they're not as bad as they've been. Saquon Barkley looks like he's having a very nice season, but it's the Giants. And they're up against a really good defense in the Cowboys. But they had the ability to plan and script, and they moved the ball down the field almost effortlessly on mm-hmm. their first possession. Now, after that, things got a little bit wonky and hard. But that's this should not be a time of... Of immense struggle for an offense as talented as the Cardinals. Getting off to fast start should be the least of their problems. Shut up, Jared. Shut up, Jared. <laughs> unless, as I said earlier, unless they're really a terrible practice team. Or worse yet. Just a terrible just team. Just a terrible team. Doesn't matter what day they're out on the field. Right. right. Uh, if they're a terrible practice team... And Isaiah Simmons stands out as being terrible in practice. How terrible is he? Well, and that's and that's the thing too. So if 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 the team is a terrible practice team, as Cliff Kingsbury has alluded to once, and he wasn't calling everybody, but some guys, then why why are you giving them so much time off? Why are why are you rewarding this? These outcomes. The history of the NFL has been filled with guys who are terrible practice players who show up on Sundays. Is that true? Oh yeah. Okay. And vice versa. Uh, Guys that are great practice players and stink when when it's live. I don't okay. know. If, I, I don't know if Isaiah Simmons is at that point in his career yet where you can determine him one or the other. Because mm-hmm. again, there's there's different there's different explanations. I don't even know him. if he is a good practice player or not because every week Cliff Kingsbury says how fantastic he's doing in practice and then he doesn't play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Hence the disconnect. Welcome to Phoenix, Arizona, yeah, everybody. Indeed. Coming up next, we'll hit some uh, social studies at uh, Bickley underscore Murata on Twitter. Sarah Cazell acts as the MC, And she'll do it next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.